it is a Friday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. No Wednesday edition this week because we didn't have a whole lot to talk about sports-wise. And uh, I know most of you, well, I don't know if it's most of you, but a lot of you tune in for sports and some of you, maybe hopefully all of you, stick around for the faith portion at the end. But I just didn't think there was much to talk about on Wednesday other than a certain linebacker had uh, hip replacement surgery. And it went well, and he appreciates those who are praying for him. So if you're a faith-based person and you uh, love Mr. Spielman like I do, you can pray for Chris as he recovers from hip replacement surgery. We had a lot of funny um, exchanges over that. In that, he sa- I said, what's the recovery time? He said, for a normal human, which, you know, you would expect Chris to say. And I texted him after surgery, said everything went well, and he was waiting for them to come in and get him out of bed and walk. Said, it's been 45 minutes. What's taking so long? So I said, yeah, I expect a 40 time of 4, 6 or better by tomorrow night. So I haven't checked back. Don't know if he's running yet, but he is on his way to recovering. So shout out to Chris. And uh, we miss him here on the podcast, but we know he's doing great things with the Detroit Lions. All right, tomorrow, big Ohio State basketball game against Illinois, 4 p.m. tip. Wow, did the Illini play well. <laughs> on Monday night at Michigan. Woo! 76 to 53. They beat Michigan by 23 without Io Desumu, who's a first team all Big Ten guard, probably the hardest guard to keep away from the rim in the conference. Uh, that was impressive. So Illinois won, I think, two games without Desumu. I don't know if he's playing Saturday or not. I'm sure that Chris Holtman will not have a definitive answer on that today when we talk to him at 2 p.m. But this is a big game for Ohio State. It would solidify them, in my opinion, on the two-line of the NCAA tournament. And that's where I think they need to be at least to have an advantageous draw. Now, you can be on the one line, as we found out years ago in the year with Will Buford, David Lighty, John Diebler, Jared Sullen. Uh, no, they didn't have Sully then. Uh, but anyway, the year we got Kentucky, North Carolina, and everybody else in our bracket when a certain athletic director you all know was chair of the NCAA Basketball Selection Committee. Ohio State had a one seed, overall one seed in the tournament, and we're in the toughest bracket. So it doesn't matter that you are a one or a two seed. You're not insulated from a tough draw, but I don't think there's much difference between a two and a one. Why do I say that? Because if you're a one, you will play, assuming you beat the 16, you will play an eight or a nine in the second game. Okay, so that's an even matchup. Eight, nine, pick them. If you're a two, you'll play a seven, ten winner, which is also a pick them game. And very often you play the 10. So theoretically, in the second round, you play a worse team, a 10, other than an eight or a nine. So it's not that different, one and two. But there's a big difference between two and three. Or one and three. So could Ohio State still be a one? Sure. They could beat Illinois. That would help a season sweep of Illinois. Hard to give Illinois a one seed over Ohio State if Ohio State swept them. But I think Ohio State would have to get to the semis Saturday at the Big Ten tournament to solidify a one seed, which they could do easily. Uh, How will they bounce back from this three-game losing streak? I don't put a ton of stock in the three-game losing streak like a typical three-game losing streak because look who they've lost to. They lost to Michigan, no disgrace, back-and-forth game. Everybody agreed, best game of the year. They lost to Michigan State on the road. Some curious calls in that game, some curious replay decisions in that game, and Michigan State's playing for its tournament lives. And so, understandable. Toughest place historically to play in the conference is East Lansing. And Ohio State goes right down to the buzzer and loses the game. Then Iowa at home, Iowa played its best game of the year. No one will ever make me believe they didn't play their best game of the year. And Ohio State played its worst game of the year. And the 16-point final is what results. So would it shock me if Ohio State came out and played very, very well tomorrow and beat Illinois? Not at all. Would it surprise me if Ohio State came out tomorrow Played pretty well, and Illinois just played a little better? Nope, because they're very evenly matched teams. And honestly, no offense to the Buckeyes, Illinois has better talent. Ohio State doesn't have a seven-foot beast like Kofi Coburn, 
And as good as Ohio State is, Io DeSumo is a better player than anybody Ohio State has. So in my opinion, Illinois has two bigger weapons than Ohio State has because while E.J. Liddell is good, while Dwayne Washington is good, DeSumo's better than Washington, and Coburn is easier to get the ball to and harder to defend than E.J. Liddell. Doesn't mean Liddell's not good. He is. He's a first-team Big Ten player, and Dwayne Washington's playing really, really well. But there's always somebody better than you. And those two guys on Illinois are just, to me, better basketball weapons than Washington and Liddell. So, where is Ohio State better? You know what I'm going to say. On the bench. Because I have great faith in Chris Holtman, culturally and tactically. So, it's going to be a really, really good game. A high-level game. And we'll see how it goes. But I would not be, unless Ohio State gets blown out, I will not be pressing the panic button about Ohio State. I think the time off will be good for them, and I think the time off will continue to be good for them. Playing Illinois after five days not playing, then having another probably five or six days before you play in the Big Ten tournament, and then how depending on how long you play in the Big Ten tournament, I don't think I don't think it's ideal to play three games in three days. A lot of people say, "Oh, you want to win the Big Ten tournament?" Yeah, I'm not really sure you do. You know, it's just if you're really a good team, you don't need to. Uh, if you're an okay team and you want to gain confidence, yeah, then the Big Ten tournament has value. So I'm not hung up on the Big Ten tournament, except don't lose in the first round and get to Saturday. Then you've proven yourself one of the best four teams in the league, and you're okay. So the seeding process will be interesting. There are going to be some monster matchups in the Big Ten tournament right away, and there's some teams to watch in that tournament. For instance, I don't want to play Purdue, and I don't want to play Minnesota. So... Uh, those are the teams that I would want to avoid, although I tend to think Ohio State would take care of Purdue a third time. I think they've learned a lot from playing Purdue. Uh, hopefully you've learned by watching and listening to the podcast here that Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee is the best coffee, and they're cool people, and they're always innovating and trying new flavors, and this is their newest flavor, bourbon barrel-aged coffee. That's exactly what it is. They take the hand-picked coffee beans, they put it in an actual bourbon barrel. I've seen it and they roll that barrel up and down the aisleways of their facility in Mechanicsburg and infuses the beans with a little smoky bourbon kind of a flavor. So if that sounds like something you would like, which if you love coffee, why wouldn't you? They tell me that it is oak, caramel, sweet, and nutty notes with the essence of fine bourbon from the Nicaraguan pick beans. So there you go. And that's not the only flavor they have. You loyal Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, Customers know they have Hunter's Blend, House Blend, tons and tons of flavors. Light, medium, dark roast. Get it sent right to your house. Great offer. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. 15% off when you use the promo code in all caps, We Tackle Life. Okay, so we got a couple things to get to today. Um, number one, C.J. Walker, Kyle Young, Ohio State's seniors, were on a conference call yesterday. As you may know, this is a year where it's a freebie. That's why Michi Johnson's at Ohio State. It does not count as his freshman year unless he wants it to count. Anybody playing college basketball this year, girls, excuse me, women, men, I'm not even sure. Can I say women? Women's okay, females not? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but um, you get a free year. Swimmers, divers, wrestlers, everybody. This year doesn't count. Football players, doesn't count. If you don't want it to count, doesn't have to count. So C.J. Walker and Kyle Young are going to go through senior day on Saturday. But if they want to come back next year, they can. Now, C.J. Walker, I think, has designs on a future as a head basketball coach or an assistant basketball coach. Does he want to get his career started in that regard? Graduate assistant, Ohio State. I'm sure Chris Holt won't give him a job. Maybe. Does C.J. Walker want to come back? And play next year for Ohio State. Maybe. Do they need him to? Uh, probably, yeah. Kyle Young, same thing. Kyle's been here four years. Does he want to play a fifth year? I hope so. I think Kyle Young is more important to Ohio State than CJ. And that's not to say CJ's not important because he's been playing really well lately. I just think Michi's ready to take over. And I don't anticipate Dwayne Washington going to the NBA. So they're going to have... Dwayne Washington and Michi Johnson are going to get Jimmy Sotos back. 
and they're going to have McKaylee Branham coming in. And so I think they're okay at uh, the guard position. But C.J. Walker would be an asset to have back just because he's a leader and he's really played well lately. So we'll see. But they're going through senior day. It does not necessarily mean you will not see them again in an Ohio State uniform. And neither one of them yesterday could commit to either leaving or staying. So somebody in college basketball next year is going to get a big bump out of somebody who comes back and, hey, might as well be us, right? Michigan this year is good because Isaiah Livers came back because they got Mike Smith in from Columbia and because they got, uh, I don't know, Chauncey Chumley somebody from Wake Forest. Crazy. Starters at Wake Forest transferring to Michigan. The career scoring leader at Columbia transferring to Michigan. And Michigan won last night over Michigan State, and the final was 69-50. to Okay, so Michigan wins the Big Ten. Whoop-dee-doop-dee-doo. Good for you, Michigan. I'm thrilled. You get to – I'd put that banner up quick with Jawan Howard being your coach because we all know what happened to all the banners that Michigan's uh, Fab Five hung. Oh, that would be none uh, during their career in Ann Arbor. Uh, but had they hung a banner, it would now be in cold storage and it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me one bit if the same thing happens to this Michigan team because once a cheater always a cheater. All right, yes, that's my unvarnished opinion of Juwan Howard, who I do not trust and who I do not like. And the other thing, this is a ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous spin on last night's Michigan win. All right, who's better this year, Michigan or Michigan State? It's not even close, right? It's not even close. It's Michigan. Michigan's really good. They have a ton of weapons. They play great defense. They are well coached. I don't have to like Juwan Howard to say that. They are well coached. Man, they run great stuff. They're impressive to watch. If just Juwan Howard were not attached to it, I could enjoy the beauty of how Michigan plays. But they're way better than Michigan State, and I know the home court is not typically worth much this year, if anything, but they were playing them at home, and Michigan was coming off a loss, so you're motivated, and Michigan is playing for the Big Ten Championship. So do we have anything that I mentioned in the last 45 seconds that would tell you that Michigan State would give them any kind of a game last night? Answer, no. Yet Jawan Howard and Michigan's players have to portray this 19-point win over a team they're clearly better than as the outgrowth of some grand motivation that they gained from Draymond Green, big mouth Draymond Green, former Michigan State Spartan, and a video where he said he hoped Michigan would never win another game. Now let's review that, okay? Draymond Green played at Michigan State. Who is Michigan State's rival? Oh, it is Michigan. And do most rivals wish good things for their opponents? In my recollection, the answer to that would be no. So for Draymond Green to say that he hopes Michigan never wins another game, is that a shock? Does Indiana hope Purdue wins another game? I don't think so. Does Northwestern hope Illinois wins another game? No. Does Duke wish good things for North Carolina? No. Does Arizona State wish good things for the Arizona Wildcats? No. Does Michigan wish good things for Ohio State in football? No. So this is not news that Jawan Howard... Uh, excuse me, this is not news that Draymond Green died in the wool Michigan State Spartan does not want Michigan to win another game, yet Juwan Howard has to reach into his coaching bag of tricks. Oh, look, an arch rival from years ago doesn't want us to win another game, guys. Wow, that should really make you mad. That should really motivate you. You shouldn't be motivated by the fact we got our butts kicked by 23 the other night on national television by Illinois playing without its best player. You shouldn't be motivated that if we lose two in a row, we might blow our number one seed. And you certainly shouldn't be motivated about the fact that if we win this game, we win the Big Ten outright. No, you should be motivated because Draymond Green who hates all things maize and blue, wishes we wouldn't win another game. Oh, well, now I'm really motivated, coach. What nonsense. What complete and utter contrived nonsense from Juwan Howard and from anybody on his team who bought into that crap. So just another reason why Juwan Howard is a poser preener and why just exult in the fact that you are a really good coach 
a super recruiter, have a fantastic team, and don't treat the rest of us like we're some kind of moronic dopes who would buy into the fact that Draymond Green, all-time Michigan State Spartan great, would not want your team to win another game. How stupid. Okay, now that I got that off my chest, let me remind you that there's even attorneys as talented as Willis Spangler Starling could not get Jawan Howard off the hook for being convicted of contrived motivation for that Draymond Green nonsense. But Willis Spangler Starling can handle anything else that you have, whether it's employment law, workers' compensation, personal injury, wills estate planning, probate. They're great people. They're better people than I am for my feelings toward Juwan Howard, which go all the way back to his cheating fab five days. So that is the attorney firm that you need to mark in your mind, mark it down, Willis Spangler Starling, if I ever have a legal issue, that is who I'm going with. All right, find them online, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. On Twitter, at Spangler Willis. Watch their videos, find out what their heart is to serve you, and you will know, like me, they are my attorney firm, the official attorney firm of The Bruce Woolley Show on 98.9 The Answer, 5 to 7, Monday through Friday as well, and Ask the Attorney is tonight at 6 o'clock. So if you have a legal question, get it into Bruce at 989theanswer.com, and we'll ask it of the attorneys from Willis Spangler Starling tonight at 6. Okay. Cancel culture comes to college basketball, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I don't mean to sit here and say that neither one of these coaches did anything wrong, but I do mean to sit here and tell you that Cancel culture comes for everyone. It's coming for me sometime, and I don't care because I'm not going to give in to it, and I'm not going to apologize unless I'm horribly, egregiously wrong. Greg McDermott at Creighton and Jim Bayheim at Syracuse are both in the crosshairs of cancel culture. So I'll tell you what they did, and you can decide for yourself. I'll give you my spin on it. I'm not nearly as passionate about either situation as I am about Juwan Howard being a contrived bunch of motivational nonsense. Okay. So Greg McDermott, the guy that Ohio State almost hired, and I believe they wanted to hire him and made him an offer, and then the, thankfully Bruce Hooley led a fan revolt that, no, we don't want Greg McDermott, who failed at Iowa State, to be Ohio State's head basketball coach. Now, he's actually been a better coach at Creighton over the last four years when Chris Holtman's been here than I thought, but he's nowhere near as good a coach as Chris Holtman, so Ohio State got the right guy. But Greg McDermott's done a nice job at Creighton. So the other night they lose to Xavier, and Greg McDermott tells his players after the game, Stay on the plantation. I don't want anyone to leave the plantation. Okay. So what is he really saying there? Is he saying, you know, you black guys on my team, you are my slaves, so you stay on the plantation? No, I don't think so. But you know how the world works today, right? Oh, my. He used the word plantation. He has black players. So that's a slave master's mentality. So Greg McDermott is a closet KKK member, and he has no respect for his black players, and he's a horrible, terrible, awful, very bad person. And so we have to censure and discipline and embarrass Greg McDermott. Okay, did he speak unwisely given the tenor of the climate today? Of course. Stay away from all Nazi comparisons. Stay away from all language that could in any tangential way be tied to slavery. That's the rules we're playing under now. I don't know how long we're going to play under these rules. I think it makes America a stupider, more hateful, less grace-filled country. But that's the culture in which we have created for ourselves and enabled. And so Greg McDermott is suspended indefinitely from Creighton basketball. And I find it hard to believe that anybody could coach as long as Greg McDermott and network with, trans, uh, uh, invest in players of both the black and white race and see color between his players. I just do not believe that. While I did not want Greg McDermott to be Ohio State's head basketball coach, I believe that anybody that coaches at that level has done great things in many young people's lives to raise their capacity to achieve in the world. Taught them hard work, discipline, delayed gratification, all the qualities that come with being an elite athlete, being an athlete of any sort, 
that's why kids play high school sports and why, in my opinion, you can have no greater instructive experience in your life than being part of a well-coached team with a productive team culture. So I do not in my heart know Greg Mc... I do not know Greg McDermott from that doorknob over there. I only know what I hear about Greg McDermott, and I already told you that I did not want him to be Ohio State's head basketball coach. But none of the reason why I did not want him to be Ohio State's head basketball coach is related to the fact that I think he's racist or hateful or has a different standard for his black players than his white players. That would be stupid. There's no way he could achieve... Who would he be hurting if he did that? He would be hurting himself. He would be hurting his school. He would, of course, be hurting the players that play for him. If Greg McDermott were a racist, he'd recruit an all-white team, okay? So this is stupid, in my opinion. It's stupid. Whatever happened to employers who said to someone who complains, I know the guy who works for me, whether it's Greg McDermott or whether it's some copy Uh, whether it's some intern or whether it's some low-level employee, whatever happened to, in America, someone calling and complaining about an employee, and it's not an egregious mistake by the employee, but it's a mistake. Greg McDermott made a mistake, given our culture. Whatever happened in America to a boss saying to the person complaining, look, I know the person you're complaining about way better than you do, and you're misreading them, and I have their back, and so I hear you, You go away now. Thank you for making me aware of it, but I'm not going to give you the pound of flesh you want me to exact. And then calling the employee into the office and behind closed doors in front of no one saying to the employee, you made a mistake. You need to be better. You need to be better next time. This is the culture we're in. This is how your actions, words, attitudes came off, but you need to be better. And I'll help you get better. Because I'm a leader and I lead this endeavor that we're in, whether it's a university or whether it's a business or whether it's a church or whatever it is, I'll help you get better. But I'm telling you, you made a mistake in this situation. Publicly, I have your back. Privately, we're going to work on this so this doesn't happen again. Whatever happened to that in our country? No, now we go to whether it's Chris Harrison with The Bachelor, whether it's Dr. Seuss, whether it's Greg McDermott, whatever it is. We instantly assume that the most innocuous comment, something drawn 80 years ago, something written 150 years ago, must mean that there was subliminal, hateful attitudes swimming around in the person's mind. I don't want to live in a culture like that. I do live in a culture like that, but it's not a better culture to live like that. So, grace, forgiveness, anyone who's a Christian Anyone whose eternal security has been settled because they put their faith in Christ understands of what they've been forgiven. I don't think you can be a productive Christian in this world unless you really grasp what you've been forgiven of. And Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive you. And so this doesn't surprise me. We're in a essentially godless culture now where God is marginalized. And so, of course, grace would be on the endangered species list. But to me, Greg McDermott does not deserve the public upbraiding and humiliation that he got from this. He said his players did not want him to resign. He offered to resign over this. He said his players didn't want him to resign. So what does that tell you? It tells you that his players don't think Greg McDermott is a racist. Whatever happened to them saying, hey, coach, not the best terminology, dude. Be better. Like, how about you go run some sprints? How about you do some gassers, and we'll laugh it off. We love you, coach, but be better. Respect us as men and understand that, you know, we don't appreciate that kind of visual imagery. Wouldn't that be a better result? Wouldn't everybody be closer? And isn't that what we're striving for, that we want Greg McDermott to learn and we want his team to come out of this closer? I would think so, but that's just not how we do things today, and that's really, really unfortunate. Okay, there's another coach in the crosshairs of cancel culture, and I'm going to tell you about him momentarily, but first I want to tell you about my friends at auiinfo.com. Joe Biden very active with his pen on his executive orders. One of them opens up open enrollment for health insurance. If you intended to get to it at the end of last year and did not, 
You can get to it right now. AUIinfo.com is a health insurance brokerage, so they help individuals get the best health insurance, and they help companies put together the best benefits package for their employees. If you're an owner of a company, small, medium, large, whatever, you can switch your benefits anytime. They understand at AUIinfo.com that it's a pain and you don't want to do it, but they also understand that if you haven't looked at your benefits package in a couple years, you're probably spending too much for less coverage than you could offer if you went through them to another carrier for disability, vision, dental, health. But if you're an individual, now you, now is definitely the time to look at it because you can't change any time. You have a finite period of time where you can change. Typically, it ends in December. Now it's back open for this little window of time here in the spring. So you don't pay AUI. No one individually or company pays AUI. The insurance companies want your business. They pay AUI, and they're not taking kickbacks. Every company pays them. They're able to put you with any company. Their business wouldn't survive if they didn't put you with the best companies. So it's a completely trustworthy process. And the truth is you're already paying for a health insurance consultant in the cost of your policy. So you might as well avail yourself of their expertise at auiinfo.com. Chat feature enables you to just take care of it, typing online, or you can call them on, do a Zoom call or a phone call or an in-person meeting, auiinfo.com. All right, one final note. Before we get to the faith portion of the podcast, Jim Beheim of Syracuse is in the crosshairs of cancel culture. This one was, to me, well, I can't really say it's worse because, look, I've been doing this gig a long time. I've been doing reporting, sports reporting, and I've always felt like if I ask a stupid question or if I say something stupid, or if I overstep my bounds, or if I criticize a coach and come at them strong, they can rip me. Juwan Howard can rip me. I, I, I would expect Juwan Howard to rip me. I don't care for Juwan Howard, and I've said things about Juwan Howard that I'm sure he wouldn't like. And if he hears about him and he wants to rip me, have at it. I deserve it. If you give it, you got to be able to take it. So Bayheim is in trouble because the other night after a game, he was on a Zoom press conference. Every press conference is Zoom. And Syracuse is having a 15 and 8 season. They're like 9 and 7 in the ACC. They're not, you know, a top 5 10 team. And you know, and so Bayheim, Bayheim is a sourpuss, okay? Bayheim is a snarky sourpuss guy. I've had my dealings with Jim Bayheim over the years at NCAA tournaments. He's got a wry sense of humor. It doesn't land well with everyone. He's an old school guy, so he's a kind of a dinosaur. And not all those guys are as, you know, hip to what you can and can't say now. Just saying that's how it is, not saying it's right or wrong. So Jim Bayheim, after answering a question on a Zoom call about, I think my team's done okay, it's a tough league, you know, he makes a reference to a tweet sent by somebody who covers Syri Syracuse basketball for the athletic. And this guy happens to be rather diminutive in stature. So this guy who covers Syracuse basketball tweeted the other day that Syracuse would be 17-5 and five if they played two little-used bench guys more often. So this guy who covers Syracuse, he observes the team. He's a fan of these two guys. He tweets this. Okay, fine. You can do that. But if you do that and you're saying, by connection, I know more than the coach does, he screwed this up, then you have to expect the coach to come back at you hard. That's just how it works. Some coaches don't do that. I've tweeted things before about Chris Holtman. Like I said, he played Musa Jallo too long at Michigan State on a sprained ankle. I don't know if Chris heard it. If he heard it, he probably didn't like it. If he wanted to come at me on Twitter or personally, I'm a big boy. I can take it. I should be able to take it. But Chris Holtman, he's probably like, eh, not worth it. Big deal. So what? I don't care what people think. And he shouldn't care what people think because he's smart, really smart guy. He shouldn't care what I think. Bayheim took the opportunity answering this question after he finished answering the question to come back and add, of course, if I'd have played these two guys, we'd probably be 22 and two because I've been doing this, I think he said 45 years, but I'm not as smart as some guy who never played basketball who's five foot two. Bam. Okay, he came back hard at the dude. So what? So what? That's my attitude. So what? Guy tweeted that the team would be better 
If if Beheim played these two guys, so Beheim comes back at him. Oh, he he short shamed him or whatever the heck we call it now. Okay, he okay. The reference to the kid's height probably not that probably not great. I get it again with McDermott and the plantation reference. That's you just can't do that now. Why not? Here's the thing about cancel culture. Okay. This is my view of can I, I did a faith portion of the podcast a couple weeks ago on Jesus's view of cancel culture. Not good. The, the view of cancel culture, not good. Had Jim Beheim said, I've been doing this 45 years, but I clearly don't know as much as a guy who covers our team for the athletic. Would that be okay? Do you dare criticize a reporter? I mean, as reporters, kind of the nature of what we do is to analyze, evaluate, and yeah, sometimes criticize what coaches do. Why are we immune from that coming back on us? Why are we insulated? Why are we protected? Why are we vaccinated from that? Why? We shouldn't be. If you give it out, you should be able to take it. And I don't care if a coach says, oh, look at some guy with a goofy haircut and a goatee criticizing me for coaching. All right. Like, I'm not such a snowflake that criticizing my personal appearance or the fact that I, you know, am not a NBA player or whatever. I don't care. I don't care. But boy, nowadays, all oh, all ESPN, all oh, Bayheim makes reference to. Look, man, just I I just don't I don't share the opinion. I don't share the offense. I don't share the opinion. Maybe you have to be more secure in what you do. Maybe you have to understand that when you rip somebody, the best thing you can do is go stand right in front of them the next day and give them the chance to come back on you. That's just, to me, the honorable way of doing it. That's how I was taught to do journalism. I believe strongly that is the right way to do journalism. I spoke in an Ohio State journalism class two years ago. I was appalled at what the teacher said to me in that class about how careful I needed to be saying things that were completely innocuous about how Ohio State, how covering Ohio State works now compared to how it, co- how it worked back then. In my opinion, she is doing a disservice to her students with how, uh, with the safe, um, cloistered way she's teaching her class. But she's got the MA and probably the PhD, and I don't. Can we just agree to disagree? I can. I don't know if she can or not. But to me, the kids today, here I am, old man, get off my lawn. It's just journalism is not better today. That I will say without equivocation. Journalism is not better today. Journalism is um, it is not adversarial anymore. It is invested in the people that it covers. And that is not what journalism at its best is supposed to be, was designed to be, or in my day was taught to be. So, I doubt the needle's ever flipping back, but that is where we are. That is why Greg McDermott's in the crosshairs of cancel culture. That is why Jim Beheim is under fire. And I believe that we are not a better country, always looking for a reason to pounce and advantage ourselves at someone else's expense. In the faith portion of the podcast today, I thought I would try to uh, comment on a story that I saw this morning from the New Yorker. It is uh, a very interesting story, one with uh, merits in some regards and some without merits in others. Hopefully, uh, in the course of doing these faith portions of the podcast, you guys understand the, um, I can't even think of a word, importance doesn't do it. The essential nature of making a decision on who Jesus Christ is in your life. Nothing your parents did, nothing your wife does, nothing your husband does, nothing your children do has any bearing on how you will be viewed by Jesus when you die. You will be uh, given one of two eternal fates, heaven or hell, based upon what you did with what Jesus did for you at the cross. 
He died for you, and all you need do to live with him in eternal bliss is to accept his sacrifice on the cross as payment for your sins and authenticate that by understanding the depth and breadth of your forgiveness so that it changes you. But doing works, doing good things out of, hey, this will get me into heaven, that does not work. That is anathema to God. That is a failed endeavor. Okay, so this New Yorker article today is entitled The Come on. The Wasting of the Evangelical Mind. The Wasting of the Evangelical Mind. And it starts to talk about the storming of the Capitol on January the 6th and how a couple of nutcases, including the guy with the fur hat and the horns, got into the Senate chamber and they uh, extolled Jesus Christ and they prayed and they thanked God for getting them in there. And it makes the parallels and it ties evangelical Christianity to the Fuhrer support adulation for Donald Trump. And that it makes the case that their problem with the evangelical Christian's mind is that basically the evangelical Christian doesn't have or doesn't use their mind because it makes a statement early on in the article that I find exceedingly interesting that faith and reason are, I didn't ever even heard this word, antipodes, which means faith and reason are the direct opposite. The former necessarily cancels out the latter. So if you have faith, you can't have reason. If you have reason, you can't have faith. That is what the New Yorker is saying. And it cites a professor from Wheaton College, uh, which is a theoretically Christian college, uh, about this thing, that evangelicals don't use their mind, they're emotion-driven, they're faith-driven, they're trying to put this big puzzle together of how the world's going to end with revelation and all this kind of stuff. And I think a lot of what is in the early part of this story, some of it makes sense. Uh, I've said before, when Jesus comes back to gather his church to him, and this world ends as we know it, he's not coming on Air Force One, (laughs) okay? Donald Trump was not my savior. Donald Trump is not my Lord. Now, Can God use imperfect men like Donald Trump? I don't know how anybody could argue yet. Uh, No. I don't know how anybody could argue no. Let's look at the giants of faith in the Bible, shall we? Moses, a murderer. Jacob, a swindler. David, an adulterer and a murderer. Uh, Paul, an accessory to murder, if not a murderer himself. Uh, so Peter, a liar, you know, a backstabber. So I think it's pretty self-evident that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his purpose. Why does he do that? Because if he were going to use perfect people, who would he have to use? Not me, not any of those people I mentioned, not anybody, right? Because we're all imperfect. And that is where this story in the New Yorker goes right into the cesspool, in that it is trying to make the point that your faith must be an intellectually sound faith. Now, don't hear me that I'm saying that you have to be an idiot and you have to suspend reality to be an evangelical Christian. Quite the contrary. I am an evangelical Christian because of what I know God has done in my life and the evidence that I have that he is real. A long time ago on my ESPN radio show, a co-host of mine asked me on the air, do you believe in aliens? And I said, not really. Well, he was astounded by this, and he said, how can you not believe in aliens? And I said, I believe in angels and demons. For me to believe in aliens, show me an alien. 
well, there are all these reports and this and that and, uh, you know, the New Mexico thing with, uh, you know, Area 51. And I'm like, okay, show me one. Like, I need to see one. Now, somebody responded to me that day during the show in the audience and said, well, Bruce, you don't believe in aliens because you've never seen an alien. How do you believe in God because you've never seen God, have you? That was a really good question. And I had to pray about my answer because that was, I knew, an important moment to give a sincere answer. And I finally said, yes, I have seen God. I've seen God work in my life to comfort me from an inexplicably awful situation that was uh, the, one of the worst parts of my life. I've seen God work in Chris Spielman's life and Stephanie Spielman's life to bring beauty out of a horrendous circumstance. I've seen God work in the lives of those who've forgiven others who have murdered their children or done horrendous things to people in their family or to them. I see God in the eyes of my children, the miracle of birth and how they uh, take on traits of myself, traits of my wife, but they are a unique creation in and of themselves. I see God in many, many, many things in our world. Now, you of course can say, oh, that's just heredity, or that's just genetics, or that's just biology, or that's just you believing in a grand delusion. You can say that because to believe in God does require faith. It does. In fact, you cannot be saved unless you have faith, which is the belief in things unseen. Faith is trust. God is willing eager, desirous of forgiving you for your sinful behavior, sinful attitudes, bad language, wrong motives, etc., 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 etc. He is more than willing. He desperately wants to forgive us of those things and reconcile us to him, make us perfect, qualify us to spend our eternity with a holy God, a pristine God, a perfect God who cannot allow himself to be corrupted by any sin. So if I have any sin attached to me, I am unfit to spend eternity with God. How do I become qualified? How do I become, the biblical word is justified, just as if I never sinned? How do I become that? Through claiming what Jesus did, who was Jesus was fully man and fully God. He died on the cross. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. So he, when God, I said this before, when God looks at us who have accepted Christ as our Savior and attached ourselves to him, God sees us through the prism of Christ's perfection. But you have to make that individual decision to accept Jesus for your sin. As I said, your husband going to church doesn't do it for you, missus. Your kids going to church doesn't do it for you, mom and dad. Your husband going to work, uh, going to church doesn't do it for you, wife. And going to church doesn't do it. It has to be a personal relationship with Jesus where you say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not qualified, but I know you are, and I'm placing all my faith in you. Okay, so that is faith. So for the New Yorker to write that faith and reason are incompatible, to some degree they are. But for those of us who have experienced Christ's love and forgiveness, they are not separate at all. They are inextricably linked. In fact, when you go through the book of Acts, the growth of the early church, the book of the Bible, the book of the Bible in Acts does not say that Paul went into synagogues and preached to the Jews, trying to convert them to Christianity. It says Paul went into the synagogues and reasoned, reasoned with them, pointing out the Old Testament scriptures of the coming Messiah and how Jesus fulfilled that. And then he talks about in the book of Romans, which is a letter he wrote to the Roman church, Paul talks about this whole push-pull, this whole conflict between Jews, Jesus was a Jew, 
Bible's full of Jews. Every book in the Bible is written by Jews. Jews are God's chosen people. Yet Jews have not, by and large, accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And Paul talks about Jesus came as the test of being reconciled to God. You're not going to do it through the law, through obeying the Ten Commandments, through working your way to heaven, through being perfect, because nobody can do that. Nobody cannot be envious of their neighbor at times. Nobody cannot have sinful, lustful thoughts towards someone of the opposite sex. No one can never swear. No one can never lie. No one can never cheat. So the law, the Ten Commandments, the whole standard of perfection, Paul says, was created to make us recognize how unworthy we are. And then Jesus comes along to say, I know you're unworthy, but I came and I did it for you. And Paul talks about this in Romans 9 and Romans 10. In Romans 9, um, of course, when I'm trying to find this, I can never find it. Uh, Let me go to here, Romans 9. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Stay with me. Romans 9, verse 31. Israel, that's the Jews, pursued a law of righteousness behavior, but have not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith as if it were by works. In other words, it was not believing in Jesus and what Jesus did. It was, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it myself. I can do it myself. No, you can't. And then Paul writes, Romans 9, the end of verse 31, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Yeah, Jesus was that stumbling stone, that cornerstone. In Romans 10, Paul continues, I can testify about the Jews. They are zealous for God. They're excited. They're all in, right? But their zeal, their enthusiasm, is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, through Jesus, that's how it comes from God, through Jesus. The righteousness that comes from God is through Jesus. Paul says they sought to establish their own through works, through deeds. And they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ, Paul writes, Romans 10 verse 4, is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes faith for everyone who has faith okay so this is where the new yorker article goes into a very errant school of thought that well you can't have reason if you have faith and you can't have faith if you're reason this intellectual attempt to make intellectual sense of the gospel is the direct opposite of why Jesus came to earth and what God requires of us to be acceptable in his sight. It has to be a gospel that makes sense to everyone in the world if everyone is going to be judged by it. And I would just ask those of you who think you can work your way to heaven, well, I'm a good person. I do a lot of nice things. Where is the standard for good enough? Where is the standard? Where in any of these 66 books with all the thousands and thousands of characters and tens of thousands of verses, I assume, where is it written? Once you attain this level of perfection, here's where the bar is. I'll tell you where it is. God requires you to be perfect, perfect. So his holy nature is not corrupted. See, I think if you wanted to plot God on a graph, you, there, there are very, several various continuums of God. There's God's love, right? God is love. There's God's wrath. He's a God of wrath. And there's God's holiness. Those are his three chief characteristics, okay? His love, his forgiveness is under that love, his grace. His wrath, his punishment for not doing what he wants you to say, is under that wrath. And his holiness, how do you go from down here up to his holiness? Jesus has to lift you up. 
you have to grasp Christ's hand and say, I cannot do it on my own. I cannot do it on my own. Only your perfection satisfies God's standard. And I don't want him to look at me at the end of my life and see me through the prism of Bruce Hooley. I want him to look at me through the prism of Jesus Christ. And I can say, I'm covered, dude. He did it all. That's why when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. When he died, those were his last words. It is finished. In other words, I've completed the work to make all of you who put this crown of thorns on my head and spit on me and mocked me, I finished the task. So every single one of you is now qualified if you accept my free gift to you. So with all due respect, which means, of course, no due respect to those at the New Yorker, you are stumbling over the stumbling stone. You are trying to make intellectual sense of a process where God does not require people to be smart enough to get it. He only requires people to be humble enough to accept it. And that is my prayer for all of you, that you are humble enough to accept God's grace and to accept his forgiveness and to accept the fellowship that comes with that. It is my pleasure to have been with you today. Thank you very much for your time. Have a great weekend. Leave me a review on iTunes. Send me an email. WeTackleLife at gmail.com. Patronize our sponsors, Willis Spangler Starling. Tell them you heard about it on the podcast. AUINFO.com and also HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Have a blessed weekend. Talk to you Monday, hopefully about an Ohio State win. Until then, God bless you, and thank you for your time.